KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. NASA wants to go back to the moon. That is what the Artemis Project is all about. Now, we are still waiting for the launch of Artemis 1. It's an unmanned mission. Had to be scrubbed a couple of times. It's been in the headlines the last couple of weeks. But they are going to try to launch again soon. And it's really a bold and exciting initiative. And we wanted to really dig into it. So we caught up with Dr. Karen Masters. She is a professor of astronomy and physics at Haverford College. So the Artemis program overall... This is really a bold vision that NASA's laid out here for people maybe that aren't familiar or have only heard kind of snippets about a launch and the launch with Scrub. What is the the overall goal of the Artemis program? Uh, so the overarching goal uh, of, of the program is really to make a permanent foothold on the moon, to relearn some of the lessons we learned about space travel in the 1960s, get us back to the moon and beyond indeed. And so ultimately the goal of the Artemis uh, program would be to look towards Mars missions uh, in the coming decades. This first step, the Artemis one, as we are recording this, it is a launch that was scrubbed a couple of times. Uh, This is going to be unmanned. And what exactly is this kind of a dress rehearsal for a, a manned mission? What what are they? What eventually will happen with this mission? Yeah, so sending humans into space is always a risky business. So with a new uh, spacecraft, NASA is going to want to do some uncrewed, um, automated missions, kind of just to check out the technology. Um, this is a spacecraft that is similar in some ways to what was launched on the Apollo missions, but actually uh, somewhat bigger um, and obviously using uh, some of the more modern technology that we have access to now in the 21st century. Um, So this kind of test mission where it's launching without any people on board is just really valuable to kind of understand the whole system. Uh, They are planning to go all the way to the moon with this. So it's been a while since NASA has done that with a spacecraft at this scale. Um, And so that's going to be pretty cool (laughs) when it happens. And I'm sure it will happen. Um, You know, scrubs like this and and problems are part of the process of test flying. Um, And so, uh, you know, they'll get there, I'm sure. And is it just going to uh, circle the moon? Is it just going to orbit the moon? It's not, there's no plans to land or anything on the moon. Yeah, there's no lander in this first one. Um, The landing comes, you know, if you go to the, the NASA Artemis website, there's a whole kind of plan over the next several years of the different missions that launch and what they're going to take. And there'll be actually a number of non-crewed missions out to the moon to send um, some of the resources and facilities to set up this kind of, well, they set up a gateway first, so they're going to set up an orbiting sort of platform to help um, and then um, stuff that goes down to the surface much later on. I only remember this because I recently just rewatched the Chasing the Moon documentary series where it goes through basically the whole space program uh that pbs and it was wild and one of the things that was cool is you could see like the escalation with each mission all right we're going to do a and then the next time if a works we're going to do a and b and then we're going to do a b and c and there was a very steady process of of climbing the steps are we is this the same process they're looking at here like the, the first we take the ship and we circle and then we'll do A and B. Is that the whole same idea? Yeah, very much so. It's, you know, maybe not quite the same steps as happened in the Apollo mission. Um, 
another big difference between Artemis and Apollo is that Apollo was very much a race, right? There was very much a politically motivated race to get uh, Americans to the moon before the Soviet Union at the time. Artemis is more driven by science goals and is a more measured pace and also a pace to set up more of a permanent type of infrastructure, um, hopefully uh, leading to you know more expo- exploration beyond the moon in the future. And so it's not going to be quite as rapid uh, as the Apollo missions were, because that was very much you know really trying to get there first. And that's one of the amazing things is, I mean, I'm too young. This all happened before I was born, but I've I've read a lot. I've watched a lot about it. And I think something that people don't appreciate is how much this was a a whole of country effort, like how much these Apollo missions were in the news cycle constantly. You knew who the astronauts were. You knew what what ships they were going up, what mission they were were linked to. That is not the case now. I mean, people talk about it on launch days. There's excitement, but there's not this constant growing buzz. How much does that hurt things or does it help that there's not the constant scrutiny on things that maybe people in the press and the public don't understand how they work, if that makes sense? No, I, I, yeah, I understand the question. And of course, I'm also too young. I didn't live through the Apollo missions either. So, uh, but like you, I've read quite a lot about them and watched uh, some of the documentaries. I mean, I actually think one of the stated goals of the Artemis mission is around that inspiration that Apollo brought to the children of America and the children of the world, in fact, right? You can hear from my accent, I didn't even grow up in America, but Apollo was inspiring for me, you know, and missions like it and the idea of going out into space um, and learning more about what's out there was really, for me, it was a big part of why I studied science and I enjoyed math and that helped too. Um, So there is a big aspect of Artemis, which is about that inspiration. And, you know, maybe this first mission um, it, it's a test flight. You know, there hasn't been so much buzz about this, but I think once the program gets to the point of sending uh, people on the missions, um, another stated goal of Artemis is to put the first uh, person of color on the moon, the first woman on the mo- moon. Uh, so far, the only people who've walked on the surface of the moon were white male Americans. Um, and, uh, you know, so Artemis wants to go a little bit beyond that and be more inclusive um, and hopefully uh, help with some of the inspirational messages that Apollo brought to the country. This huge boost in uh, science learning and, you know, just engineering all over, you know, sometimes people will talk about missions like Artemis and Apollo wasting money, sending off into space on a rocket, but the rockets are built on Earth. The electronics are built on Earth. The expertise stays on Earth. Uh, the money stays on Earth. Uh, you know, obviously, the bits that go into space might stay up there. So there's some uh, non-reusable aspects of, of of these rocket flights, but they're incredible economy boosters for this kind of high-tech workforce. I would say so. There's lots of different aspects of Artemis. I think that that are interesting um, to think about going forward. Yeah, that's one of the things. Is yes, this technology might be developed for a rocket booster or or whatever with regards to you know, this rocket. But eventually that technology that is maybe discovered or perfected for the space program finds its way to the everyday person in some form of something that makes their life better. Like it doesn't just usually stay with the the rockets. It, it Either the technique or the idea 
kind of eventually helps everyone, no? Very much so, very much so. I, I could be wrong on this, but I think I remember that Teflon was developed by the space program. And now we all probably have Teflon in our kitchens. Um, some of the materials for space suits, you know, space suits have to be very strong, uh, very resistant to the environment. Some of those materials are in, you know, some of the high-tech clothing that you can uh, buy today. Yeah, lots and lots of examples. I think even some pens. I think NASA spent a lot of money developing a pen that would write in zero gravity. And, you know, that that actually makes beautiful pens people can write with on Earth, too. One of the things I heard, and I don't know if the, how accurate, but the software, the computer power in my phone, in an iPhone, in, in your cell phone, is stronger than what they had on the Apollo missions. Yes, and, uh, very much so. <laughs> yes. So that's so, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My question is, and I don't mean that like, if we're that much further ahead technologically, why isn't it easier? Like, why do why is it still such a process? It, it's still hard to go to space, right? Space is a very inhospitable environment for people. So our computers are much better, for sure. And so um, calculations that are needed uh, for navigation are going to be much easier. You know, you're not going to have Katherine Johnson and an army of African-American women doing calculations uh, to support the Artemis mission because, you know, mechanical computers can do that now. But Building a spacecraft that is reliably safe, it's still a hard thing to do. And we still need to make sure that we get it right because people we don't want to put people in harm's way any more than is necessary. I mean, going into space is never going to be 100% safe, um, like many of the things humans do. But we want to make it as safe as possible for, for the people who will be going. So I'm curious, what is the, the timeline here for the Artemis program? How long will it take before they, they get to a point where they say, we, you know, maybe not mission accomplished because there's probably always going to be something new, but where they, you know, they've gotten done really what they set out to to do. Yeah. So they're, they're aiming to get to a point where um, going to the moon becomes a kind of, I'm not going to say routine, but a regular occurrence. So there's a goal uh, of yearly landings on the moon with people every year after around about 2027 with a sort of structured build up to that. So there'll be, you know, the, the non-crewed launch, this one that we're talking about, then the first crewed launch um, they're hoping to do in 2024, landing, the first landing they're hoping for 25, um, and some other tests with the Lunar Gateway module in 27, and then sort of get into this more more regular pattern. I mean, of course, as we saw with the scrub of this the first launch, you know, all of this stuff is contingent on how things go um, and how the technology develops, how the budget plays out going forward. The, all of these things can have an impact on the timeline. So these are all kind of hopefully realistic <laughs> timeline, but but there's probably an aspect of optimism in there. And then we mentioned, you know, the ultimate goal is to be be ready to go to Mars, but I haven't seen anywhere any any sort of published, you know, target date for when that would actually happen. But it'd be cool if we're going back to the moon regularly in five years from now, that'd be quite exciting, I think. What is the lunar gateway module you you mentioned a, a couple times? Like what and how does it fit into all of this? I think the idea is to have it be like a way station. Um, and so to some extent, the most expensive part of space travel is getting in and out of gravity. Uh, so the Earth's gravity, you know, getting off planet um, is the thing which takes the most fuel. Um, getting between uh, locations takes a lot of time, but but 
much less in terms of fuel and and technology. Um, and so, my understanding of the gateway is that it, it's a it's going to be a little space station in lunar orbit, and so you can almost you know you can almost think of going from the Earth space station to the lunar space station as, as a a much safer, easier trip to make than from the surface of the Earth to the surface of the Moon. And so I think it, it's a sort of way of of working on making space travel more, um, more not again, I don't want to say routine because I don't think we're really at the point where we should be thinking of space travel as anything close to routine, uh, but a more regular thing that is sort of has steps along the way. Well, and you kind of talk about this, that I think a lot of people, they're, introduction or their following of space these days is when there's news about the International Space Station. Uh, would that play a role here? Uh, like you just said, it, you know, maybe as a, a way station that we'll, we'll see its role kind of expand and become more synonymous with this type of thing? I think that's a complicated question right now as well. Um, the International Space Station is, I find this hard to believe, but it's true. It's getting older. Um, and there's also some geopolitical uh, complications with the space station at the moment, uh, with Russia being involved. So I don't really know the answer to that is the question, but if it's not the International Space Station or not exactly that facility, some kind of space station being involved uh, going forward seems like it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, because as I said, you know, getting from Earth into orbit at some level is one of the more complicated parts. And we're good at that, right? We do that a lot, actually. Um, I think that we've had continuous human habitation of uh, low Earth orbit, so on the International Space Station, for over a decade now. And so, you know, we're getting good at that part. Um, we need to get used to going a bit further away to do moon missions and Mars missions and kind of have some exploration of the local solar system. So, yeah, I think I think space stations being involved in the process make a lot of sense. We need to take a break. We will talk more about the Artemis Project with Dr. Karen Masters of Haverford College right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavin story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back continuing our conversation on KYW News Radio in depth with Dr. Karen Masters of Haverford College. What are you, as a woman of science, someone who's passionate about this, who's followed this, what are you most interested in? out of this? Is there something specific you'd really like to learn or questions that you think we could get answers for that we've never, we've got theories, but we've never really gotten concrete? Are there specific things you're really, you're really looking forward to with this? I mean, my answer is probably going to be a bit niche, so it might need a little bit of an explanation, but I'm a radio astronomer. I, I enjoy using radio telescopes um, to observe the, the skies and people probably more used to the idea of optical astronomy, but astronomers, we like to use the whole electromagnetic spectrum. Um, so we observe the skies in radio emission. 
which is becoming increasingly complicated in the modern world because everyone carries with them several devices that create radio emission. And, you know, the, 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 the planet is becoming very noisy in radio and for good, you know, awesome things. I love my phone. I, d- I wouldn't want to give it up. And I like being able to get maps that tell me where I am all over the place and things like that. But all of this is radio emission. So it's causing headaches, basically, for radio astronomers. So if we go to the moon, as long as we can continue to keep the moon environment cleaner in radio emission, um, and particularly if we can go on the far side of the moon where the Earth is shielded by the full body of the moon. So remember, the moon rotates in a way that the same face always points towards the Earth. Um, And so we talk about the side of the moon that we see, and then this far side, which is always pointing away from the Earth. A lot of people call it the dark side, but that's not quite true because it is illuminated by the sun half of the time as the moon goes around the Earth, but we never see it. So it is the far side. Anyway, long story short, if you put radio telescopes on the far side of the moon, there's going to be one of the quietest environments in terms of radio emission to study the distant cosmos. And so it's, like I said, a very niche thing, not exactly about the moon itself, but about being on the moon and being able to make use of the moon for scientific ex- exploration. I think that's going to be really cool. I'm sure there's all kinds of other applications where being on the moon is kind of interesting uh, for all kinds of things. Yeah, to that point, that's kind of the, because I think one of the ways, you know, right or wrong, that you would get a lot of people to, uh, when I say a lot of people would be more interested, I mean, you wouldn't hear as much complaining about costs and stuff like that, is if there was somewhat like, you know, we hear a lot about mining, you know, stuff like that. If we get a consistent or when we get a consistent presence on the moon through this, uh, are there things on the moon even just, I don't know, any kind of minerals or anything? Or are we still really kind of at like the first half of the first chapter of understanding uh, what's there? What I know about the moon, and I'm not a geologist or a lunar geologist, but but what I know about it is that it has a fairly similar composition to the Earth um, and the mantle of the Earth. Um, and that's partly because of how it formed. Uh, what we think happened was that in the early solar system, the proto-Earth and another planet of a similar size, maybe a little bit smaller, maybe a bit more uh, similar in size to Mars. Those two planets collided and left behind what we now call Earth and the Moon following that collision. And so the material that the Moon is made of is rather similar to the material we have here on Earth. That said, we are running short of certain you know, highly valuable elements, particularly with all the lithium battery technology, which is going to be so important, right, for dealing with climate change going forward. We need cleaner energy. And it really seems like really high quality batteries are, at least at the moment, integral to having that access to that cleaner energy in a useful way. Um, so it's possible that the moon could contribute to the resources that we need to do that. I always get a little bit hesitant, though, about, you know, let's go to the moon and exploit its resources. And I mean, I guess there's no one currently living there. But, you know, it's a resource for all of humanity. Uh, no individual country, you know, there's this space treaty that says no individual should country should benefit. But I, I do know the Artemis mission has some stated economic goals and it's working with companies, for example, to develop the space suit material and some of the other components of the mission. So there's definitely aspects of the mission which are, you know, and as I said, you know, it costs money, but a lot of that money is spent on Earth in employing people on Earth and building things on Earth and, you know, doing stuff that builds technology and helps the economy a lot. I want to go back. You were talking about the the radio telescopes and listening and, you know, getting on that other side of the moon. 
what would be incredible to hear? I mean, obviously, if you heard a conversation from a distant galaxy, that would be oh, right, but, yeah, people. But I, but I mean, cool, like, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you? What would you hope to hear? Could you? Would it be possible? Is it crazy to think that you could hear things that maybe would say, "Oh, well, that's interesting." Like I, we never thought to look in that direction, but from that type of signal, like, is that within the realm of possibility? I mean, every time astronomers have opened up a new window on the universe, uh, something new has been discovered. And by putting radio telescopes on the far side of the moon, we would be able, we would have access to lower frequency radio than we can get from Earth. Uh, the Earth is surrounded, thank goodness for people, the Earth is surrounded by this thing called the ionosphere, which um, helps to protect us from some of the bad stuff in space, um, you know, that's sort of outside of the rest of the atmosphere. But the ionosphere um, doesn't allow very long wavelength radio emission to come through. Your older listeners, I don't know, maybe this is not a thing in the US, but as a child, we could listen to French radio in the UK because it, the long wave radio would get bounced off the ionosphere and come a very long way. Was that a thing in the US, listening to very distant radio stations? Anyway, never mind that. Um, yes, but, but I don't know if it necessarily overseas, because I know a lot of times uh, people in my in radio, we would always enjoy at night, you know, like I was remember driving on I-70 in Missouri one day, and I actually was able to get KYW in Philadelphia clear as a bell. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, so no, I, I guess know I was just close enough thing. to France that the, yeah. the French it, radio it, it, it might be the same idea that, and here I thought it was just a radio nerd thing. But Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, the reason it bounces off the ionosphere is that the ionosphere is kind of opaque to those long waves. And so that means, you know, the stuff from outside isn't getting through. So we can we can open up that window, which would be cool. The other thing we could do, which is cool, and I don't know, maybe you've seen this, but have you seen the pictures of the black holes? Yes. And, you know, if you've heard about how that's done, right, that's done by telescopes distributed right across the Earth to kind of synthesize a telescope the size of the Earth. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's great. You can get a really big telescope by doing that on the Earth. Imagine how big of a telescope you could get if you had some on the moon as well. And you could synthesize a telescope the size of the distance between the Earth and the moon. Wow. I mean, and that's like very like far future ideas, but that would be a much bigger telescope. And maybe we could take a lot more images of black holes or I don't know what else might be out there that's emitting um, and we can take pictures of it, not just sort of detect the the light, the radio light coming from it, but also, you know, see the distribution of stuff and see what it looks like in radio. How exciting, I mean, I, you can tell just in this conversation we've had, but just how exciting is all this and to be able to kind of see this kind of from the start here you mean artemis in general being yes. being around yeah i don't know i think i've always been a bit of a space nerd uh, and i mean obviously i turned into an astronomer and <laughs> physics professor but uh in terms of like space travel um and interest in you know going into space not something I've studied professionally particularly, but it's just cool, isn't it? And kids love it and they want to talk about it. And I think, I don't know, the world's so complicated at the moment. And so much of what we hear about science is kind of sad and worrying, right? You know, all of these viruses and pandemics and climate change. And um, it's incredibly important that we put attention on those things. But we shouldn't forget that science can be fun and it lets us explore the world that we live in. And things like space missions, I think, get at that side of, of what science can bring to humanity. As we are recording this, I think we, we mentioned that the, the Artemis one was scrubbed twice. Do you have any 
concerns. It seems like it's they, you know, something wasn't working. They tried something else that didn't work and they they had to call it. And now they've got to wait for another window to open, if I understand correctly. But do you have any concerns or this this is going to happen? I mean, it'll happen at some point, whether whether I think the, the, the next window that's coming is relatively short. So I did spot that and I was like, mm, that's a little tight, maybe test flights are risky um but there's no point taking a risk which is not sensible to take right so they knew there was a problem with with fuel leaking you don't want to launch with that um the fuel the fuel that they use deliberately so is very explosive right so um i'm sure it was the right choice i'm sure they they put a lot of thought into to scrubbing um and particularly the second scrub you know no one wants to do that twice um and miss the window there is this other window coming. So they haven't rolled the rocket back uh, into the, the building, the assembly building yet. So they've left it on the launch pad to, to see if they can make this other window. Now, my understanding is there's a, a crewed launch going up to the space station. Um, uh, one of the, I think it might be SpaceX, one of the commercial launches. And so they need to, you know, they need to wait until after that one goes if they don't make this next window. Um, so I'm not quite sure what the, what the next window after that would be, but I'm sure they're hoping to make um, the coming window, which I think is uh, like the last week or so in September. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>